You are listening to episode 115 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest Todd Widom. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. My name is Mirban Aranshad, a former Division I college tennis player. And on the podcast, I interview the best coaches, pros, and experts to help you improve your tennis game. And today, I had the privilege of interviewing Todd Widom, who was a former Top 200 ATP pro and uh, obviously a fantastic junior player. And he's transitioned to uh, private coaching, where he has a small, very fantastic elite group of junior players that he fully develops you know their game and and even takes care of a lot of other things almost to the point of being like a father to to the his students as you'll find out in the podcast episode and so if you want to learn about what it takes to be a successful junior uh some of uh the uh, ups and downs of uh, of their career of Todd uh, as a professional tennis player and uh, just in general, you know, what traits are essential f- to be a successful tennis player in person, then I think this will be a fantastic episode for you. We definitely talked for a while, and I'm really thankful to Todd for the time he gave, but uh, every minute uh, was uh, very valuable and, and gave uh, some really great insights and, and tips that I think you'll really enjoy. And it's always really special to have people like Todd on who not only can give you a really cool and interesting and helpful glimpse into the life of a a great junior player and a top level professional player, but also then uh, his insights on what it takes to become a great coach. So it's almost like he's covering the whole spectrum really of, (laughs) of, uh, you know, tennis players and coaches and things to learn. So really enjoyed it. Uh, Todd is also a pro at podcasts. Uh, he's too humble to uh, to admit, but uh, he's been on several, including uh, Lisa Stone's podcast as well, I believe Parenting Aces. So anyways, uh, really cool to have Todd on. And uh, you know, with that intro, I think it's time to get on with it and go to the interview. So without further ado, here is my interview with Todd Widom. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files podcast. I'm really honored to have former ATP pro and current tennis coach Todd Widom to talk about how he has been able to develop elite junior players in a non-academy setting. Uh, Just to give you a bit of a background on Todd, he was and actually still is, according to the videos I see, a great player. So he was a uh, former top 200 ATP pro in both singles and doubles. Todd was also a two-time All-American at the University of Miami, and he uh, was a former uh, 18 and under super national champion, 
Well, I guess I'll always live with you, so you're you're champ there. And uh, he's also the owner of TW Tennis, which is South Florida's top small group slash private tennis training uh, academy. Well, not an academy, but a place where he trains very elite junior tennis players and has had uh, many results uh, with the students that I think, you know, surpass in many ways uh, what academies have produced. So, Todd, really appreciate you coming on to the podcast, and thanks so much for joining me today. Well, thanks, Mirban. Thanks so much for that great introduction. I'm excited to uh, have a great show with you. Yeah, thanks a lot, Todd. Uh, me too. Me too. And uh, like I said, I mean, I've really been impressed. You know, I've, I've noticed you on uh, some coaching groups on Facebook or at least maybe one of them. And, and I've seen you post, you know, all these amazing videos of your students uh, just playing against like tour pros, you know, like uh, like Ronnie that we just talked about before the recording and and, and many others. And uh, really some fantastic results have been posted. And as I researched you more and more, I just thought that you'd be a, a fantastic guest for for the show. Um, but uh, just an opening question for you, Todd. So I've, I've noticed that you start very many of your Facebook posts about your students with the words, not a tennis academy. And I was wondering, you know, what this means to you and, and you know, why do you always tend to, to post that as, some, as a reminder to everybody? Absolutely. So what, what I've seen in South Florida and what I've heard about throughout the, the country and if not the world is that there's tennis academies. And so I would consider a tennis academy maybe more of a public schooling system where they take on many different players, um, could be different mentalities, a lot of different age groups, a lot of different coaches, just kind of more of a mishmash of, of all kinds of, uh, all, all kinds of, you know, like I said, players, mentalities, coaches, you know, a lot, a lot of different stuff. So I consider what, what, what I do, I run, I would consider it as an elite private schooling for tennis. And so the kids and the students that you've seen in, in, in maybe my videos on social media or, or you know, basically yeah, my social media posts is that they've gone through a very thorough assessment, just like any child w- would do if they were going to school and into an elite private school. And, and I look at everything, obviously their techniques, their movements, how they may construct points. All, all these different things, and, and most importantly, their mentality and work ethic. So then I decide whether they'd be a great candidate for my private schooling. So that's why I say it's, it's not a tennis academy. And so in, in, my, in my little private, private system, I brought in the coach that has been one of the most well-respected coaches in South Florida for almost four decades. And he was also the coach that trained me from when I was six years old to when I retired from the ATP tour at 26 years old. And so my upbringing in tennis, I was around a lot of amateur and professional champions from when I was six years old. So I was trained by two very well-known disciplinarian Argentine coaches. Um, Their names were George Paris and Pierre Arnold. And Pierre Arnold is the one that is with me every single day. I brought him in. He was really a fatherhood figure for me. And I was also trained by his best friend and, and partner, George Paris. Unfortunately, George Paris passed away when I was 15 years old. So it was a very tough time for, for Pierre and obviously for the students. But it was just an incredible tennis upbringing. And you were around so many champions and around you know, very tough competitors and intensity and work ethic and discipline. And it was just a really incredible time. So 
what I've tried to do is I've tried to hand select kids that I really want to put my daily hours into every single day. And so when you look at the social media posts that, that I put out there, these are the children that I really love to be with every single day. And they've gone through this very thorough assessment and, uh, and obviously they've passed it. And, and that's why they're here in my system. So in my system, I have my full timers that are with me all the time. Um, actually, most of them have moved, moved to the Coral Springs area, which is the western part of Fort Lauderdale. They've moved here from, from outside the area. And then I also have a pretty good following of, of kids throughout the country and, and even a couple international students that come in when they can um, during maybe their spring break or Christmas break, those types of breaks that want to come in for, for, some, for some great training. That's that's fantastic, Todd, and I think that it's it's really wonderful because you're basically getting to pick the students who you really like, kind of jive with with your your values and and your your attitudes that you want to see, and, and so I think that's a great way to really you know enjoy and and uh, feed off of each other's passion like that. Uh, so that's that's wonderful. I was wondering too, um, you know, of course you 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 coach a small group, so I mean, is there like a range of students that you try to keep? Uh, you know, a number of. Yeah, sure. So, so in in my system, like I said, I have Pierre Arnold who who trained me for for twenty years, um, from when I was six to twenty six years old. Um, so it's Pierre and I, and we do all the coaching, and then I hire private hitting partners as well. So the system is very small; it's very private. Um, the max the max amount of students that I take on are twelve students, and that's it. Um, so in the summer, for example. I was full with 12 students every single week and I had a waiting list, which is, which is very exciting for me, but mm-hmm. some people were trying to get in and, 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 you know, do some assessments with Pierre and I and see if they'd be a great fit, but they had to wait a little bit, um, depending on when I had availability. So, so that's, a, that's an exciting, you know, it's exciting for me because I started this small private system really with one player in 2010. So I've been doing this from since the summer of uh, of 2010. But um, like I said, you know, I've I've always wanted to do it the right way. I haven't wanted to take on kids that I didn't enjoy and didn't want to be with every single day. And I was raised and brought up by not only my parents but also from Pierre and George that if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right. And I think the parents and the students very much understand that. And so there's a certain standard that we that we expect every single day. And, and really for the kids in my, in, in my system, we manage everything. So it could be, could be obviously their tennis and their physical fitness and maybe their tournament scheduling. And so it's a whole management of, of, of their tennis careers. And then on top of that, when they're ready for college placement, I'm the one who gets on the computer as well as the students. And, and, and I start making phone calls to the colleges that, that I think would be a great fit for that particular child. And so that's a really important part as well as to make sure that they're placed properly in college based on their academic and, and, and their tennis results. That's amazing. You're not only looking after their tennis career, but really their future in life with that type of uh, service. So that's wonderful. Uh, I was wondering too, before we get into, you know, kind of the, the beginnings of, of your career, which is, uh, you know, well, it's all pretty interesting. I was wondering uh, maybe what's one lesson that you learned from, from George? Well, you know, may, may, maybe the, the viewers may have heard his, may have heard his name, um, George Paris, but he was, 
he was just such a well-respected coach in the area, but he was very tough. And he reminded me a lot. I got to spend a couple of days with Robert Landsdorp in California. And, and, uh, and Robert, it, it, it really reminded me so much of George when I went out to spend a couple of days with Robert. Um, and so just the standard that these coaches and the professionalism that they brought every single day to the courts was just unmatched. I, I, I rarely ever, ever have seen it since. And the passion that they brought, they were, like I said, they were Argentine coaches. And, and the passion and, and the love that they had for their students was, was just incredible. And, and they did love, they really loved to be out there with you. And you could tell it was the energy, the intensity, the passion for wanting to really help these children and not just help them with their tennis, which they produced so many phenomenal champions, like, like I said, amateur and professional but it was to really help you in your life. And so I'm still in contact with, with many of the kids that were brought up with Pierre and George. And we just, we speak about how many of those amazing life lessons that we learned from the discipline to the work ethic and how to, how to compete and just so many lessons that we learned through tennis, but by having such amazing mentors and coaches and it was just really an incredible time. And, and it was just incredible lessons that we learned. That's wonderful stuff, Todd, and you're clearly carrying on, you know, their legacy. Well, at least George's legacy, and and uh, you're heavily influenced by those those coaches, and that's great. And so, uh, this is always an interesting uh, answer to hear for me to this question. But what is your first memory of hitting a tennis ball? My first memory of hitting a tennis ball. Well, you see, I was my my father was a phenomenal golfer. He was a scratch player in college, and my mom was into tennis. So. The first, I was introduced actually to both sports when I was about six years old. And so my father was a member of the Country Club of Coral Springs, uh, which, which is actually where I train my students now. So I really haven't gone too far. Um, but uh, so I was introduced to both, both sports. And uh, I remember being in clinics with a lot of kids and just really loving tennis and 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 the coach that that introduced me to to tennis this this uh, man Sean Craig just had an incredible amount of energy and he was just so phenomenal with the recreational side of of kids and adults and so that really gave me you know really gave me the love for for tennis at at a pretty young age awesome that's great stuff and i mean you know along with that did you have any tennis idols uh, while you were growing up and playing in the early stages of your life well, I can tell you, yeah, but it's it's not it's not really a very famous name, even though I'm sure a lot of your listeners would would know this 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 man. But like I said, I was brought up, you know, by Pierre and George, you know, in, in their academy and everything. And so one of the big time players that was training there was Jay Berger, mm -hmm. and so I watched him training all the time. You could consider him the David Ferrer of the 80s and 90s with the intensity and the work ethic and the drive. And so, like I said, that, that's, that's how the kids were brought up and, uh, you know, that, that were working with George and Pierre. And so he was really one of my idols growing up. And so it was incredible. I just watch in awe at such a young age, six, seven, eight years old, and watch him train and, and see what he was doing and, and, try, to, and try to bring that intensity to, to my lesson. So for example, I'd watch George training Jay Berger in a two hour workout. And then at six or seven years old, I'd go take my half hour lesson. But Jay, Jay being a really good person and, uh, 
and being great to the kids in the academy, he would hit in my lessons quite often. Yeah. And so I was, so it was just an incredible environment. And, and, and really that's the way that I was brought up as well is that you play with everyone. And so as, as a favor to, to George, because George had spent so many, so many years developing Jay. So Jay would, would, would give back to hitting in, in my lessons when I was a youngster. And, and not only that, who became my college coach at the university of Miami, Jay Berger. <laughs> so, uh, and then now Jay Berger trains Riley Opelka. And so I bring my student Ronnie Homan up to West Palm beach to train with Riley Opelka and Jay Berger. So it, uh, it has been a long lasting relationship there and, uh, it's been, it's been great. And just, you know, my tennis upbringing was, was just, was just really incredible when I, when I look back on it and, and really the students that are in my system, I try to deliver and, and give them, you know, many things that, that were, that were given to me at a very young age. Wonderful. And yeah, I mean, I'm looking right now, you know, Jay, uh, for those of you who don't know, I mean, he's beaten players like M- Mats Willander, uh, Boris Becker, uh, Stefan Edberg. So, uh, clearly, uh, an incredible player. And speaking of, of Jay, I mean, I was actually reading some, uh, I guess you could say older articles about you. And I read in an, uh, Orange Bowl article from 2001, that Jay said that you uh, had one of the best down the line backhands that he had ever seen, and uh, <laughs> so he's quoted there with that uh, statement. And so, uh, what's what's the key in your estimation to having a great down the line backhand? Well, you know, I don't know. I mean, so, some <laughs> things may come easier to, to some players. I mean, you you have to you have to understand that when when, when you're brought up by a disciplinarian coach who's really invested in, in the, in these players, the workouts were really tough and there were tons of repetitions every single day. Mm-hmm. So the lessons were grueling and very tough with a lot of reps at a very young age. So you develop so many things and so many different tools that you were going to use for your whole tennis career. So people know me as having a great backhand down the line, which, which is, which is great to have obviously. But, um, you know, that was developed at, it was really developed at a very young age. And in the lessons with George, I can tell you, you know, from when I was, you know, like I said, seven, eight years old, that he would, he would tell me to go cross court more, but I love to rip it down the line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, you know, some, some things are maybe just more natural than, than others. Yeah, sure. That makes a lot of sense, uh, Todd. And so you were, you were obviously a top junior and you, you were dominating. So I was wondering uh, if you could kind of Tell us, like, in your view, like, what skills or traits did you possess? And I know you've talked about, you know, uh, hard work, but it's what traits or maybe uh, tennis skills did you possess that really allowed you to be a top junior player uh, when most other kids were maybe distracted at the time or doing other normal teen stuff? Sure. Well, tennis, tennis for me was was, you know, obviously I loved it and, and the competing and, and the intensity and, and the workouts I, I loved. Um, there were some things that came maybe a little bit easier for me than, than maybe the majority. I, I know what I was blessed with. I mean, all, all good players, whether they're amateur or professionals, there are certain things that maybe, maybe come a little bit more natural than others. So I was blessed with, with good eye-hand coordination and, and balance of my legs. So you know, when, when you, when you, when you start going through, through your career, um, you know, and, and these are the things that I think about quite often as I'm obviously I'm training juniors to, to go to the most elite colleges and maybe professionals one day. But, you know, when, you know, at, at, at a young age, 
it was it was it was pretty I wouldn't say easy but I was able to to hit the ball pretty clean and and so that's why Jay Berger kind of you know took me under his wing a little bit because he saw that I was a I was a good ball striker so you know I mean that doesn't mean everything but you do have to be able to strike the ball clean to to be a to be a good player um but for me tennis was it didn't come very easy I had to really put a lot of work in and I had to hit a lot of reps every single day in practice so there are players that that maybe it's more natural for them and their strokes and everything and they don't really have to do a ton of reps but for me I had to work extremely hard I had to hit many many thousands of balls every single day to feel confident in myself I had to do a lot of amounts of fitness and and first step quickness and endurance training um quickness for me wasn't uh wasn't so natural where some kids are just naturally great movers and, and super fast. I mean, obviously I, I was fast, but I wasn't say David Ferrer fast. So I had to work incredibly hard to try to maximize my movement. I had good balance, but I wasn't incredibly fast. So the way I was trained with, with the movements and, and the physical fitness, it was to become as fast as I could and as, a, and as explosive as I could. But when I look back on my junior career, it took me 10 years to really break through and become an elite player in the United States. So I was working incredibly hard from when I was six years old to when I was 16. That's when I really started to break through. I was, I wouldn't say struggling, but I was a good top five, top 10 player in the state of Florida. And I was losing many times to the same players. And I kept struggling with them year after year. And they were great players. Um, but then when I was able to grow and, and, and I did mature physically a little bit later than than most of the boys that I was competing with. And then when I was able to mature physically and put all these tools together that I had trained for, for, for 10 years, that's when I, that's when I really started to hit my stride. It was, it was, it was about 16 years old. Gotcha. Gotcha. That, that's fantastic. And so, I mean, you mentioned, obviously everybody has their uh, natural gifts and, and, and whatnot, but in terms of playing style, I was curious, like, how were you beating players? Like, what were there specific weapons that you had, or did you rely on speed, or what was it exactly? Sure. So my my whole goal, as well as when George and Pierre were, were training me, was for me, they knew I was going to become a professional player at some point. It was more of a matter of when, but it was to to have a total game where I could grind, I could rip a forehand and backhand, I could transition, I could mix pace, I could go high heavy, I could go high high and softer, I could serve and volley, I could return and come in because I wasn't going to be 6 foot 4, 6 foot 6 like many of the guys that I competed against. So I'm a little bit under 6 feet tall and so you have to have a total game. And so we were constantly working on all these different tools uh for for me to succeed. And so many times I had a lot of different game plans based on the opponent that I was going to play. And I'm talking about whether I was in junior tennis, in college tennis, or in professional tennis. And I could just flip, flip the game plan and try, and try to do something else if, if game plan A or B wasn't working or whatever the case shall be. And so some of the best wins, I can tell you, that I had on tour, I had to play game plans that were totally against my, what, what, what I was naturally good at. But I had worked many hours in practice throughout my whole life on on developing so many different skills that I had to bring out many times, say, a lot more serving and volleying than than I than I usually did, or maybe returning and coming in off a off a player's second serve to put pressure, 
you know, or, or mix pace and maybe slice and, and, and junk a little bit, or maybe I needed to play bigger because, because the player could out, could out rally me out grind me. So I needed to play a little bit more first strike tennis. So I was able to really mix it up and, and, and really be able to change my game plans based on really the surface I, w- I was playing on and, and, and the player I was playing against. Yeah. I love that really, you know, as it- Whenever you add a, a weapon to the toolbox, then you give yourself another way to to win matches. Um, in terms of t- technical uh, development for you, was there any one stroke? And you know, because people they they maybe they struggle with with developing their backhand or their serve. Like, was there any one stroke that you struggled with as a junior for like a, a somewhat substantial amount of time and and and, and trying to f- to fix it? Um, you know, Mirban, I, I would say. I would say really no, mm-hmm. because the way I was trained by by these two individuals that, that were such a phenomenal coaches, the foundation was very strong at a young age. So I can tell you that the way that they taught their taught their students was that the technique, whether it was the grip and the swing and the movement, these were all tied into the drills. It wasn't like someone, and I see this all the time, whether it's right or wrong, it's not for me to say, but I see a lot of kids that that are maybe, you know, there, there's videos on, on the internet and everything that kids are being hand fed and they're just swinging and they're swinging and swinging and swinging. And that was really never part of my development, uh, coming through, coming through junior tennis. It was always movement technique. Obviously the grips are set hopefully at a young age and they're proper, but the movement, the technique, the ball placement, how you were hitting the ball, whether it was heavy angle, flat through the court with top spin all these things were, were, were set at a young age. You had the, the toolbox, you had these shots in your arsenal and, uh, and, and they, and, and it was worked upon every single day by the same coach. And it was, it was solid and it was a very, very solid foundation. Gotcha, Todd. So in other words, sometimes you see coaches only hand feeding and focusing on the technique, but then like when they're actually moving uh, and hitting live balls, then they're not really working on it anymore. And then it kind of gets jumbled up. Right. Well, well, yeah, I mean, and and so many, many times and I can I can tell you from the students that that have come through my door is that they may look good in drills. They, They may they may look good in in hand fed or or bucket drills, those types of things. But then when you put them in a live ball situation and you put targets down, all of a sudden their movements, their techniques, their racket preparation, their concentration, all these things break down. Mm-hmm. So, so the foundation is not solid. And, uh, and so many times, and really for, for most of the kids that, that I'm training and have trained, is that we have to work very hard to get that solid foundation so that then they can start producing their desired results in, in tournaments. Gotcha, Todd. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I appreciate that. And uh, one thing with, with when I was looking at that, uh, that Orange Bowl article, I saw so many names in there that, that, you know, that, that became future pros. And uh, I was wondering, you know, I mean, I know this was a while ago, like 18 years ago, but um, can you remember who from that tournament, the Orange Bowl that you played that I think you might have, lost in the third round and three sets. But do you, do you, like, who do you remember from that tournament that while you were playing, you were thinking, oh, this person is going to be really good in the professional level? Well, I can tell you, I can tell you there's two guys and I played them in that orange bowl. I remember it like it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Nice. <laughs> so, so I was already at the university of Miami and I was, and after my first semester at, at, at uh, 
at UM, I was one of the top college players already. I think I may have been top 10 or top 20 in the country mm-hmm. at that time. So the Orange Bowl was played at Key Biscayne, where, where they used to play the Miami Open. And so I figured, you know, maybe I can try to get a wild card and play because it's right down the street. So I got a, I got a wild card. And, um, and so in my second round match, I played Janko Tipsarevich. Mm-hmm. And I knew who he was. He probably had no clue who I was. <laughs> so because when, like I said, when, when I started to become pretty good at 16 years old, I, I had a pretty good Easter Bowl where I finished maybe seventh or eighth in the tournament in the, in the 16 and unders. And the USTA took me on a trip to Europe. And, uh, and it was a great experience. It was three weeks. It was two in Italy and one in France. And they were the top, uh, there were a lot of the top 16 year olds in, in Europe. And so we went there, there were eight of us on the U S team that went there. And, uh, and I'll never forget. I saw this, I saw this, this boy who was sliding around on the clay, ripping the ball, never missing. His legs were huge and strong. And, and I can tell and I was top five in the United States rank, you know, ranking wise. And, and I remember thinking to myself, as I was watching him play, I was thinking, I'm not sure I would actually get games off of this kid. <laughs> and, 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 and really, not only that, he was a year younger than me. Mm. And, I, and I was thinking to myself, I need to now train harder. I need to be more disciplined. Mm. And if I want to become a professional, I really need to up the standard. And trust me, I was already <laughs> trained at a pretty high level, <laughs> to tell you the truth. Mm. right? But, but I needed to never miss any details. You know, Don't miss a, a fitness workout. Nothing never can happen ever again so anyway so we fast forward a couple of years and i play yanko tipsarevich he's a number two junior in the world like i said i know him he has no clue who i am and i had a really big upset and so i i really had never played international tournaments um i only played three itf tennis tournaments in my junior career one was the orange bowl i'm talking about one was the u.s open and one was the low level itf tournament in hilton head south carolina and so so Yanka was coming in number two in the world and everything, and I had a huge upset, and I beat him a break in the third. It was a great match. It was very exciting. Um, obviously, like, like you said, in the, in the draw, there were a lot of professionals in, in the making at that time. And so that was, that was super exciting. Um, and then in my next round, I remember Pierre kind of running around, asking a lot of his Argentine buddies and coaches you know, who is this guy, Juan Monaco? Who is this guy? And how does he play? And, and because he really didn't have much of an ITF record either. And so no one, you know, it was hard to find out how he played and come up with a game plan and everything. So anyway, so I ended up playing Juan Monaco, um, you know, an unknown guy. Um, I play him on center court and I lose a break in the third. He kind of wore me down. He was a incredible player i'm sure a lot of the viewers you know watched him play he retired not too long ago mm-hmm. and so I, I lost a close match to him but he went on to have a phenomenal career and everything and so I, w- I went back to the university of miami after that match and then about a year later juan monaco the unknown guy that i played in 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 the orange bowl who actually went on to the finals and lost against robin soderling in, in that orange bowl but anyway so now we fast forward into into his into his professional career well i'm still at the university of miami and he's playing a night match against gustavo Quarton on center court mm. so what i'm thinking is when am i going to turn pro <laughs> you know <laughs> I, I need to i need to get out of college i want to turn pro mm. i want i've wanted to be a pro my whole life from when i was six years old and so you know so when 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 pierre and i thought it was the right time 
then uh, then I turn pro. There you go. Wow, you, you're clairvoyant too, Todd, because you <laughs> basically answered my my next question. Um, well, actually, I'm going to rewind, and I was curious too, just uh, what colleges re- uh, recruited you, and then how, how you know how did you end up uh, choosing Miami over the others? Absolutely. Well, it, it was it was really such an easy decision. So at that time, there was there was really no no emails and stuff like that. So you, you'd get you get a lot of the uh, a lot of the college uh, you know recruiting recruiting through through letters in the mail mm-hmm. so i was getting you know based based on your ranking you're getting you know i mean i was ranked obviously high <laughs> i was yeah. i was one in, i was one in the country in my second year 18s pretty high um <laughs> yeah so you know I mean, so you're gonna get a lot of letters you know the yeah. kids today they get a lot of emails <laughs> so mm-hmm. so uh you know it was exciting um i personally didn't love academics so when Harvard and and schools like that and Duke and 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 those types of amazing schools are sending me letters, I'm I was kind of laughing, saying that I would never go to schools like that because I didn't love academics. <laughs> and the and and the funniest part of it of it is is that the kids that are coming to train with Pierre and I, these are the types of schools that that they want to go to. Mm-hmm. So I have relationships with these coaches, but when I was coming through, I never even considered any of these schools because. Academic academics. I really didn't love academics. I would have loved academics a lot more now, uh, when when my tennis career was was you know winding down or, or or finished. But when I was coming through junior tennis, the only thing I thought about was when am I turning pro and and I need to get certain results to be able to be on the professional tour. Mm-hmm. So, so I got obviously a lot of letters and all those things, but. I never took a recruiting trip, and so this is probably going to blow the mind of a, min- a lot of the a lot of the viewers. Is that I was number one in the country, and I never took a recruiting trip anywhere. Hmm. So the the deal was was Pierre went up to Jay Berger and said, you know, he he said you're going to take this kid. He's gonna he's gonna be at University of Miami. We're going to produce this guy into a professional player. It's only 50 miles down the road, and I want us to keep managing Todd's career, and uh, and you're going to give him a full scholarship, and that's it. And Boom. so that's, that's really how that happened. And so really that, that's many times, like, like, for example, that's what I did with Ronnie was I did the research for, for Ronnie and, and for the viewers that don't know, uh, Ronnie Holman was the number one college recruit in the country. And he's been living with my family and I for about probably about four and a half years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he's really part of my family. And if you look at my social media, I have a lot of clips on Ronnie and, mm-hmm. and, th- and those types of things are very proud of what he accomplished. And so I did the research for him. And I wanted him to go to University of Miami to, to be in the same scenario of, uh, of what I was in when, you know, with, with Jay Berger at UM and with Pierre. But, um, but unfortunately, they didn't have any scholarship money. So the next best option was to go to LSU um, and play for Andy Brandy, who, uh, who has been one of the most well-respected coaches and a guy that Pierre and I have known. He's been coaching longer than Pierre, and I grew up with his son. And we have a great relationship, and, 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 and we're communicating all the time. Um, about how to be producing Ronnie into a professional. And so Ronnie already has this team around him. And so he's going to be going to college, but it was the same scenario. It was Ronnie, this is where you're going to go to college. This is the best fit for you. This is the best coaching. Um, go take your recruiting trip. And if there's something that really isn't right, then you got to tell me, but, but if not, then this is your place. And boom, that was it. He took the recruiting trip. He loved it. I said, sign the papers. We're done. Now we move on. Let's continue training. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's really, you know, I mean, when you have a team like that around you and you understand the player and 
and what what they would love to do and the management and all those things i don't think it's that complex but uh you know it depends who's around your child that's amazing i mean do 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 you think a lot of other top players uh have this type of you know, uh, linkage and like where their, their coach like knows other college coaches and has a close relationship. I mean, is that happening to a lot of other players? Do you think? I, I can probably say no. Okay. Um, may, may, hopefully for, for a lot, but, but I don't think so. And because I think in, in America you have, a, you have groups and lessons. And so, you know, it's, it's become, it's become big money for, for a lot of places. They need to fill courts and, and pay their staff and pay the rent and, and, and all these different types of things. I, I don't really, I don't really have to do that. It's Pierre and I, and we have our core little group of kids and we're taking care of them, everything. So, like I said, from the tournaments to the training, to their physical fitness, the whole thing is managed for them as well as, as you know, the college placement. But so Many times I'll be looking online and I'll see, and I may know a certain child or, or maybe not, but I'll look at their record and their ranking and these things, and then they'll pick certain schools. And, and, and many times I'll, I'll think that, 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 to me, that's not correct. So there, there's a lot of things that, that you have to look at for that particular individual to see if it's a good fit. Where are they going to fit into the lineup? What type of game style do they play? Should they go to more of an indoor school, an outdoor school? Do they have a, a potential to be a professional player? It, are academics more important than the tennis or vice versa? And, and uh, you know, are they going to fit in well with the coaching? Are they going to fit in well with the team? I mean, there's so many things that, that, that I think about for, for the students that I train so that they have a great experience in college tennis and for, for their tennis as a, as, you know, as a student athlete and, and their academics. So like I said, that, you know, it's it's imperative that that your child has a good team around them and and people that really understand all these different things about developing and and mentally, physically, tactically, technically, college placement, all of these things so that so that mistakes can be avoided. And and so that that's really why I, you know, like, you know, like I said, that's why I do what I do and and to me, we either do it right or we don't do it. And and that's just the way I was brought up. Love that, Todd. Appreciate that. And so I just want to take one of the factors you mentioned just to get an idea of like your thought process. So for example, let's take the, you know, the factor of, uh, you, you mentioned game style. So let's say you have a kid who has, um, who's like a grinder, for example, just like all day from the baseline, like what it, knowing that information, like what, what type of decisions or where are you led to like tend to pick in terms of schools? Well, if we're, are we talking about just schools or then developing them and then placing them? <laughs> Are we just talking about schools? I think, yeah, I think just schools. Like, cause you, you mentioned like all these different factors, like fitting in with a team, this and that. And then like, you also sure. mentioned game style. So I was wondering how that fits in. Sure. So, I mean, m- most schools they have, I would think they have indoor and outdoor facilities. So to me, if they went to one of those types of schools, could they, could their game actually, could it transition to both outdoor and indoor that's number one you know then you have to see but um in terms of if they're just a grinder then they they would probably be best fit to to be going to an outdoor school um a university of miami university of florida the california schools texas schools uh warm weather climate type schools um so but but they but they are going to play indoor schools 
even if they go to a warm weather climate. So they have to be able to transition over into being able to play maybe on a faster surface indoors. So then, so like I said, so that's why I asked you, you know, you, they have to learn transition, maybe a slice backhand, maybe learn how to, how to return better. Um, you know, learn to learn how to play on faster courts. Um, so like I said, you know, each, each individual is different. Um, so, you know, those are a lot of the things that, that I look at. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, for me, the kids have to be peaking from when they're 16 to 18 years old for most likely college. You know, maybe you have a professional here and there, but most likely college. So if I have that child before 16 years old, then it's how big are they going to be? How, you know, technically, how are they, you know, the grips and the swings, um, how, how good of an athlete are they? And then what is the game that needs to be developed so that they can achieve what they would love to achieve, not only in their junior career, but end up in a, in a type of college where they would love to be. And so then, then we start attacking that every single day of, you know, how, how to train them and the game style that they need to be playing to, to achieve those, those types of results. Awesome. Great advice, uh, Todd. Appreciate that. And so I'm going to ask you for another piece of advice here, which is, um, you know, the classic, like, uh, I'm, you know, I'm a college tennis player, like pretty high ranked. Uh, should I go to, should I turn pro or should I stay? Um, like what advice do you have on, on like what to think about when you're in that situation? Sure. Are you, are you talking about out of junior tennis or out of college tennis? Oh yeah. Sorry. So like, say you're, you've been playing like one or two years of college tennis and then you're thinking, okay. Oh, like maybe I can be pro, you know, go pro or maybe I should stay. So, um, some advice for that. So it's very simple. I mean, I, I can, I can tell you what my goals were at the university of Miami. Um, is very simple is that you have to dominate. If, if you're going to have a realistic chance of becoming a professional player out of college tennis, you have to dominate. You probably have to be one of the top couple kids in the country, top three, top five, to have a realistic chance. Um, for example, my goals at the University of Miami were to come in and play number one as a freshman. It was to win minimum 80% of my matches at number one and win NCAAs and, and become All-American. I really wanted that as, as, as a personal goal. But these were the results that, that you needed to have a realistic chance that, that Pierre, Pierre and both Jay Berger thought uh, to, to go to the next level and become a professional player. Um, I was close to making the finals. I had match points in, in my second year um, at, at NCAAs. But I achieved all, all, of, all of my goals except for that one in college tennis. And so the, the way that I was managed and the way that I manage the kids that I train is that we don't skip any steps at all. So if you are, for example, if you are struggling to win, you know, maybe tournaments or make the finals of, of tournaments in the 14s, you don't play up into the 16s, right? Every single step you have to do well and prove yourself and then you can go to the next level. And so that's the way that I was managed and, and that's the way that I manage my students. There's no skipping steps. And, um, and so I did not leave college until I had those specific results um, to to be able to have a realistic chance of of becoming a professional. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Todd. I mentioned it a couple times before. I mean, I feel like there are some juniors for sure that, you know, they, they haven't even won certain levels of tournaments and they're already playing like an age group up, which, uh, you know, as you mentioned, you've got to go through really all the levels and make sure you're battle tested and, and can win, you know, tournaments uh, before you... you uh, take you know a leap uh, at least consistently um so that that's great there and uh todd so i mean you, you obviously had a great uh pro career but i wanted to get into you know some of the the setbacks um because you of course went through a lot of hardships and then ended up coming back which is fantastic to, to see so i was wondering if you could take us through the eye issue that you had and, you know, when you first uh, found out about that and then how you were able to, to, to come back from that, at least for a little bit. Yeah, sure. So, so when, when I turned pro, I mean, like I said, my dream was to always become a professional player. And, uh, and so I worked towards that from when I was six years old. I mean, I had it in my mind that I am going to be a pro tennis player. I'm going to train like a pro player. I have been around pros my whole life. And I know how they train. I know the results you need. And, and I love this more than anything. I'm going to be a pro. So, you know, and, and we can go even even before the eye problem I had. Sure. You know, I when I got out of college, I really didn't have any injuries in junior tennis. I mean, maybe a minor one here and there, but nothing, nothing crazy. And, um, and so after six months, I, I was the highest ranked player coming out of college um that was the 2003 group after ncaa's they were guys like bobby reynolds and amir delic mm-hmm. uh, rajiv ram mm-hmm. jesse witten um guys guys like that benedict dorsch he was a german guy out of uh out of baylor who was a phenomenal player there was a ucla had a phenomenal player tobias clemens clemens he was great uh there, there were a lot of great players there were probably 20 or 30 players at that time that were in college that you knew it was just a matter of time for when they wanted to turn professional. So after my first six months, I was about 370 in the world. I had done well. I had won a bunch of futures and done well and, and was keep, I was winning and losing against guys around a hundred in the world. And so I was, I was playing at a really good level very quickly out of, out of college. And so I got to about 370, um, after my first six months. And then, uh, after that, I actually tore my rotator cuff. Wow. So my, my father was a surgeon uh, here in South Florida, and, and he always told me that, Todd, if you ever tear that rotator cuff, your, your, your tennis career is probably over. So when after six months, I was really stressed out thinking, man, my tennis career might be over. I've done all this my whole life, and I left school, and, and only I had six months on the tour, and, 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 and I tore – a muscle, one of the four uh, rotator cuff muscles, I tore it 25%. And so when, when I went to go do rehab for it, the therapist didn't know if I was going to need surgery or not. So I tried rehab and, uh, and I was actually able, after six weeks, I was able to come back and I felt great and, wow. and my shoulder was healed. So that was like a miracle. Jesus. Um, yeah. So, you know, but, but to, to go back to how I was managed, when, when I left the university of Miami, I had two two different colleges paid for. So when I turned pro, I wasn't risking a lot. And so Pierre had managed this, you know, thank, thank goodness and everything that when I, when I turned pro and I was ready and everything, my education was paid for already. I could go back to the university of Miami for free and, and they honored the scholarship. And not only that in, in, in the state of Florida, there's also something called Florida prepaid that your parents pay for your college for, 
when you're an infant and then obviously you can take that money and go to a state school in in florida and and have your education paid for Mm -hmm. so i already had two free types of colleges paid for so the the risk that i was that i was taking was 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 minimal basically none right so so i tore my rotator cuff and that was in the beginning of 2004 i had you know i i had I tore my hip twice on the tour. I, I dislocated one knee. I had to have a surgery in the other knee. And I missed the uh, one year. I had to miss the French Open with uh, with a hip problem. I had to miss the Australian Open with uh, with a knee surgery. I had a my other knee had a I had a dislocated knee and, and it was swelled up and needed to find the right doctor. And then we go we go to the eye problem. So in 2006, the, the uh, in in the summer I would only I would play a lot of weeks which usually my schedule was three weeks in a row. And then I would take the fourth week off and come home and train and regroup. But in the summer I would play eight straight weeks into the U S open. And so I was playing great. I was in the weekend of, of all the challengers I was playing and and I felt really good. I was confident. And, uh, but, but for some reason my eye was, was getting really red, um, towards the end of the day and in the middle of the day. And I had worn contacts at that time. And so, I didn't want to get my eye checked until I until I finished the U.S. Open. So I win my first round match pretty easily in qualifying over this guy Steve Darcis, who was a great player. Mm-hmm. He got to about thirty in the world. He won ATP titles, and so I beat him pretty pretty handily. And then I had to play Stefan Kubek in in the qualifying, which that was a that was a top twenty player. So that's a pretty rough draw. And it rained all day long at the at the U.S. Open, and they put me on at night. And uh, and the lights there are just incredible. Obviously, they're perfect. It's the U.S. Open, and uh, and I couldn't see the ball, and it was blurry. And I turned to Pierre during the match, and I said, "I can't, I can't see." Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I lost quickly. In I don't know, forty five minutes or an hour, I got smoked, and uh, and I went home, and uh, and they diagnosed me that that I had some cancer in my left eye, and so that was that was really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for the whole rest of that two thousand six season. I was putting some chemo drops in my in my left eye while I was still trying to play the challengers and finish the year out. And they, they didn't know if the growth would get bigger or 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 hopefully it would go away. But um, so the growth didn't get bigger, but it didn't go away. So I had to go in for surgery at the end of 2006, um, unfortunately. And so they had to cut it out and then they had to put an embryonic membrane in, in my eye, uh, which is a pregnant woman's membrane and patch it up a little bit. And and so. So that was tough, you know, and, uh, you know, it makes you appreciate so many great things and, and everything, but, you know, so, so it was tough and, uh, it was tough to, to recover from and, uh, but I did. And, uh, and so I started training again and I got back on, on the road and, and Pierre training me and everything for 2007. But when I came back to playing the contact in my left eye, it it would move. And so I'd be playing and guys are serving 140 miles an hour and all of a sudden my left eye would go a little blurry because the contact was moving. So then I had to go in. Yeah, it's crazy. So then, then I had to go into, uh, into LASIK surgery and, uh, and, and that was a great success. I went to the, one of the best guys here in South Florida who deals with all the athletes and everything. And, uh, and so, uh, so I came out with 2015 perfect, you know, better than perfect vision. So that was, that was a success, but you know, in, in total, my, my pro career was, was fun. And I was, and I was, I was able to beat a lot of great players. In fact, players that, that are still playing that, that the viewers are seeing on, uh, on TV still. But, um, 
but I, it was unfortunate, unfortunate that, uh, that I was hampered by a lot of injuries. Um, and, uh, and so the tour is tough and, and being a, a little bit of a smaller guy, I'm about five ten, five eleven. I had to be in tip top physical condition and, uh, and you know, you have to work really hard and, and your body can, can break down. I mean, that's just the reality. So, uh, so that, that's really what happened. I had trouble getting through a, a full year for the six years that I played on the tour. I had trouble getting through one full year of being healthy. So my, my ranking of two, 200 uh, in singles on the tour, I basically played half the events of, of really what I wanted to play. So, so that, that, was, that was the tough part. But when I, when I was able to play, I was playing great tennis. I, I had great results in, in, in some of the ATP tournaments. I, I beat some great players and, and challengers and in ATPs. But unfortunately, my body was, uh, was breaking down. And, you know, that's, that's the chance that you take to try to, uh, try to become a great player. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. For sure. I mean, it's just incredible stuff. I mean, not only a, a huge physical burden, but uh, a huge mental burden, maybe even bigger. So I was wondering, you know, through all those injuries, I mean, what are, you know, maybe one or two lessons that you learned about, you know, how, what it takes to really to, to come back? Because, you know, obviously everybody gets injuries, amateurs too. And so I think it would be pretty helpful because I do get quite a few emails asking about like, you know, recovery and all that. So any tips uh, you can have about that or give us about that would be great. <laughs> Absolutely. So obviously, I look back on my career, and 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 now that I'm I'm training, you know, junior players, you know, I look back on maybe maybe some of the mistakes that that were made, but at the time I thought that they were the right things. Is that I, I can I can tell you that when when I was super fit when I was in junior tennis, and then when I went to college tennis, the physical training and the trainer, he really didn't know. A lot of what he was doing, mm-hmm. <laughs> unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So I think it really broke down my body from for when I became a professional player, and and I was the only professional um, coming out of the University of Miami when when I was on the team there, and so so uh, the the training that we were doing, the the weightlifting and all and 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 those types of things that you, you don't really see the players doing that anymore, and and so I think it took a toll on my hips, my knees, my my rotator cuff, and so. The injuries I had were, were, were serious injuries. They, they weren't injuries that were, you know, that, that you could come back from in, in a week or two. I was out minimum of three months and then needed to train. And then you go back on the road and you're still a little rusty. You're losing some matches to guys that you, you, you didn't think you should be losing and those types of things. And then you get your act together and then you're playing well again. But, um, but you know, I, th- I think picking a proper physical trainer and, and them understanding the body and, and the mechanics of movement, and not only that, the techniques that, that, that are proper for, for tennis players. And I can tell you that kids that, that kids that are calling me or parents that are calling me, I take a look in the assessment, and, and there, there, there are many times things that concern me for, for the long, long-term health of, of their son or daughter that 
that that could potentially bring on serious injuries and so that that's a concern for me and so and and I, and I tell them honestly listen this is these things are going to need to be tweaked or fixed because this is a concern that your child may have back problems from this or elbow wrist or shoulder problems from some of the positions that they're in or some of the the techniques that that, that I'm seeing um and then on top of it when I got off the tour, I got a, I got a degree in body work. So I finished my college degree and I also got a degree in body work. So I was able to rehab and, and, and get to know a lot of the top surgeons and doctors in South Florida. So, and obviously, like I said, my father was a surgeon. He was a very well-respected surgeon in South Florida. So, um, you know, so, so that, that, that definitely uh, interested me. And so I have a body work degree as well. And so, and I, and I also have a team of doctors that if any of the players that I train, if they feel this or that, and I think it could be something maybe serious, they, they're in the office of one of, of one of my really good friends, and he works on a lot of the top athletes in, in South Florida. And they're seen immediately, and usually they're back training the next, the next day or the day after. And, and knock on wood, over these nine years, I've never had a kid have a serious injury ever. And so that's that's obviously my number one goal is to make sure that that the kids that I'm training are healthy so that they can keep training hard and uh, and keep working at their craft. But um, so but I learned a lot. You know, I, I learned a lot from from some of the ailments that that, that I had and, and, the, and the, the doctors that, that I saw and and the body work degree that I have. And, and so fortunately, these kids, they're blessed. They I, I, you know, they, they have Pierre and I, but I also have. Uh, the, the, you know, a doctor that, that they can see on, on speed dial. Hey, I need you to see this player. I think, you know, they could have this or that. And, and so they're in the office immediately. So the, so they stay healthy. And then on top of it, I teach them all about recovery and nutrition and, and all, and all the things that they need to, to be able to thrive, uh, in tennis. So, you know, we go over all the things from the stretching to the massage stick, to the foam rolling, to the ice baths, to all of these things, the nutrition, so that they can stay healthy and continue to do what they're doing. Love it, love it. You have a, sounds like you have a great team, and you do have a great team around you. Um, yeah, one thing, uh, I guess, follow-up. Yeah, when I was playing college tennis, I mean, uh, maybe it's for a lot of universities. Like we, we had basically one fitness coach like handling all the sports. And so, um, of course, you know, it's going to be tough for them to – know a ton about tennis i guess especially if they don't study the sports i was wondering um when what what are some of the things that you did that your your fitness coach or that they had you do that you know looking back were maybe uh mistakes or like exercises that you that weren't necessarily productive because i was wondering to maybe you could point those out and, and some of us who are training uh with those types of exercises or or regimens could maybe take a, a second uh thought about that yeah no problem well for you know before i speak about some of the things that i didn't think were were, were so great mm-hmm. fitness has to be done regularly and it has to be done say uh let's say five or six times a week it has to be done regularly. So if your child does it sporadically, they may get out of shape. Then they may get in shape. They may get out of shape. They may get in shape. So when your child is out of shape and they want to start working hard, that's when they're actually very vulnerable to getting injured. Mm-hmm. When you're in shape and you're strong and you're fit, that's when you have less chance of being injured. So in college, the physical training was, was not that consistent. 
So that was that's that's number one. So you want to go push your body to get in shape, but your body's not used to that workload. So you you're you're vulnerable to getting injured. So that that's 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 number one. When I was a junior, there was fitness done every single day. It was consistent. We knew exactly what I needed to work on. It wasn't it wasn't ten guys on a team. It was Todd Whittem. <laughs> it was what does this guy need to work on to to be able to move faster, more agile, you know. You know, um, flexibility That's stuff, it, stuff, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, so, but in, in college, all of a sudden we started lifting heavy. We started doing Olympic lifting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were, we were doing at times low reps. And so our bodies were looking really good, <laughs> you know, <laughs> hey, you know, looking good for the girls and, you know, all the, all that kind of stuff. I feel strong. All of a sudden I'm squatting you know, more, more than I've ever done in my life. I feel good and strong and these types of things, but I was never really in great tennis shape. Hmm. So that, that's, that's a tough thing. And then, you know, you're, you're, you're doing all this lifting and, and I think it took a toll on my body to start tearing muscles. Hmm. And, uh, you know, when, when you're on the tour and you're traveling and you're going to different surfaces and plane flights and different beds and every single week and, and, and all these things, it's hard to keep your body not only in shape but also healthy because when when you're when you're a player on the tour at and especially at my level of 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 the challenger level you want to try to be playing probably around 30 or 35 weeks a year on the road if you can stay healthy and that's a lot and and especially when you compare that to guys that are on the ATP tour they're playing a fraction of of the of of that amount of events and so they're able to take training blocks and get their bodies prepared for, for the grand slams and certain events and all those things. But guys that are trying to make it, they're out there trying to get points and get money and, and chasing and this and worldwide and where are they getting in, um, each, each and every week. So it's a, it's a whole different ball game for guys like that. And then, uh, and then on top of it, they're not training, they're not traveling most of the time with physios and people taking care of their bodies. They're relying on just the trainer that the tournament hired you know, they, you know, it becomes, it becomes a big expense, obviously, when you're on the road and then you got your physio, your coach, your massage therapist, some of them have cooks for them, all these different things that, you know, no, no challenger player, unless they have really wealthy parents or there's a, there's a federation backing it, they can't afford that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense there, uh, Todd. And, and so, um, as far as, uh, as far as the tour, I mean, there's so many pressures, uh, and so I was, I was wondering, how do you deal with kind of the the fact that I think normal people, when they're playing, if they were playing a match, like they would probably be really occupied with the fact that if they won this round, they would make an extra few thousand bucks and like more points and this and that. So, like, I mean, how how are you able to deal with the pressures of of that and staying afloat, like financially and all these other things? Well. It, it was it was very difficult financially. I didn't I didn't have uh, really a lot of money to to become a professional player. So for me, it was I had to learn as I, as I was going. I couldn't have Pierre on the road with me every single week. Mm-hmm. Um, so when when I had the money, I'd, I'd bring him on the road. Um, you know, I was splitting hotel rooms, splitting rental cars, uh, many times not having a coach, no physio. So you're 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 trying to take care of all of these things on your own, and and it, and it makes you a disciplined, more more mature person. But you're also dealing with the stresses. Mm-hmm. So 
you're looking at your bank account and you're thinking, oh man, I just lost thousands of dollars this week because I lost first round and my bank account is going down and, yeah. and uh, you know, I don't want to go broke. I, you know, I, I almost, I almost went completely broke one year when I was injured and I had to drive to South Carolina for a money tournament to put some money in my pocket. Then I had to go to Mississippi, put some, put a couple more thousand dollars in my pocket. Then I was at Wimbledon and then, and then I was kind of, you know, back to, to breathing a little bit easier again. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there was a time where I was very stressed out and very nervous that, uh, that it was over. And, uh, yeah. and so, so it, it was tough, but it, uh, it taught me a lot about, about life and, uh, and how to handle stresses and pressures. But in going back to how, you know, what, what you're talking about on the court, you don't think of any of those things when you're in a match. The only thing I'm thinking about is to play each and every point to the best of my ability and try to execute a game plan. And so if you're thinking about the money or the points that could happen, if you, if you win this match and, and those types of things, you can't focus on the task at hand. And so, you know, those are the things that professionals, you know, that, that, that they battle, especially at the challenger level is that, you know, at, at any given moment or, or time, you know, you, you could be out of a job, you could be injured, you have nothing, there's no money coming in. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's very difficult. It's a very difficult lifestyle. Yeah, an incredibly difficult uh, lifestyle. And, um, you know, it's kind of going on that train of thought, Todd. I mean, did you have any sorts of pre-match routines or, you know, any sorts of protocols that you followed to also help you kind of get in the zone to where you weren't thinking of, like, non-essentials that wouldn't help you actually win the match? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, was, uh, I, had, I had routines for everything that I did. Maybe superstitions or routines, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, I I, I warm I, I warmed up a certain way. It was done the same way every single time for many many years. Uh, the same foods, um, you know, the, to to the fluids I was drinking, to how I was stretching, taking care of my body, to um, you know, before the matches, I was regripping my rackets. I was away from everyone. I was totally focused. I was in my own little zone. I was only thinking of how I was going to play the match, my game plan. I didn't have any distractions around me, nothing. It was tunnel vision the whole way. And, uh, and that's, how, that's how I took it. It was serious for me. Um, I wanted to achieve some big things in my, in my tennis career, and I was serious about it. It was not, it was not fun in games for me. So... Um, so it was my job and, and it was made very clear at, at a young age is that, you know, as much as I love tennis and compete and love, love to compete and train and, and do these things, it was my job. So when it, when it's your job, you look at it differently. And, um, and so I tried to, to, to do it as professional as I could. And, uh, and that's what I try to teach my students now is that, you know, is it their job? Well, they might not be earning a living at it, but they could earn phenomenal scholarships mm -hmm. that could help their parents out financially. And, and not only that, they could end up in, in the most elite schools, which, which I've placed uh, many of them in, in such incredible schools that now they're set for, for phenomenal jobs uh, when, when, when their college career ends. So is it a job? Yeah, maybe it is. I mean, you have to go about it in a, in a very disciplined manner. And there's a lot of kids that want to be in your position. So it's competitive. And, uh, and, and it's going to come down to results and discipline to who gets these very elite spots in, in, in these types of programs. Yeah, for sure, Todd. I mean, you're, you're investing your time and effort and, uh, in, into, 
you know, a long-term thing where you're not going to immediately get like, you know, money and stuff, but like, it, you know, at one point it's all going to really explode in terms of the, the value will come back to you and, and your family and everything. Um, and uh, in terms of the, the routine, you know, I, I hope you don't mind if I prod a little bit, but I was wondering if maybe you could either give us like maybe the, the specific like uh, routine or like, you know, an hour before the match, like what did you do? Or maybe like what do you it suggest your students do so that somebody who's listening could maybe replicate it uh, for their next uh, tournament match? Uh, absolutely. So, I mean, ba- you know, depending on when I played – throughout the day, whether I was playing maybe a feature night match or maybe a midday match or even a morning match, the routines kind of stayed the same. Um, about, I would say, an hour and a half before the match, I, I'd warm up. Um, and I went through the same warm up every single time. I went down the middle. Then I started doing my cross courts. I finished my cross courts with down the line winners on both sides. And I went through my volleys, I went through my overheads, then did my serves, uh, maybe hit some return to serves with, with my practice uh, partner, then maybe played a couple of points, and, and, then, and then I was done with that. Um, then I went to the locker room. Uh, well, then I went, yeah, I went into the locker room, then I, then I changed my clothes. Um, then then uh, saw the trainer, started getting stretched out by the trainer. Um, then, like I said, I went to a quiet place. Um, I didn't put any music on or anything. I just wanted it very quiet and I was regripping my rackets, getting ready. Um, and, and I was thinking about the game plan that I, that I was, that I was going to try to attempt to, to do in, in, in my match. And, uh, and, and so I was, I wanted to be as prepared as I could. I did my research on, on the, my opponent and, uh, and then right before the match, I'd, I'd probably start running around and, and, and doing some sprints and getting a little sweaty before I walked out onto the court. And, uh, and that was really the, the pre-match prepar- preparation. I mean, I also maybe ate some food depending on, you know, when, when in the day I was, uh, when in the day I was going to compete. But, um, but yeah, that was, that was the pre-match preparation and, uh, and I stuck to it. You know, I was, I was very routine oriented from from a very young age um from from george and pierre and so we stuck to same routines many times the workouts from training were the same and uh it was very disciplined every single day and we were working towards things and and we could gauge improvement on on certain things by you know each and every day and uh and and that's what we did love that todd thanks so much for that uh, level of detail and uh you know like you said the routines really help uh, normalize things and help you get into the right frame of mind uh, every single time and in a comfortable place, uh, no matter where you might be playing tournaments uh, for the most part. Um, And uh, also as far as, um, you know, finally, of course, uh, retiring, I was wondering like how that, how hard that decision was and how you finally came to that decision. It was actually very easy for me (laughs) to tell you the, to tell you the truth. Um, for maybe for some players, it was difficult, but for me, it was, it was actually pretty easy. Um, at, at, at around 25, 26 years old, I, I felt like my legs were slowing down a little bit. Mm. And so, and I needed to be, like I said, early in the show, I needed to be fast and agile and I wasn't serving 140 miles an hour. And, you know, I, I had a big serve. It was clocked in the one thirties, but 
I wasn't six foot six and, and, and serving like that. So you're, you're out there battling, you know, each and every point is, is, is very tough physically. And so, um, when, you know, I said that in 2009, in the beginning of 2009, I, I said that basically if I had another major injury, I was going to stop and I was going to, you know, get off the tour and, and that was going to be it because, my body wasn't wasn't really telling me that that I could have a very long lasting career and 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 really get through a season health wise. Mm-hmm. So that that was difficult and uh, and quite honestly, I was getting tired of the traveling. Um, and so I played amazing in in, in two thousand nine. I I, I, sh- I played some of the best tennis of my career. Um, and uh, I had I had a tremendous ATP result. I beat Robbie Ginepri and Taylor Dent in the SAP um, uh, ATP tournament in San Jose. They, they don't have it anymore, but it was a tournament that I grew up watching Andre Agassi and Pete Sampras compete in. So it was super exciting. So I qualified in and made the quarterfinals and beat those guys. So I was playing phenomenal tennis. And then and then I had a great tournament at indian wells also i went there to the master series and i qualified in i beat a guy 80 in the world then i then in my first round match i beat another guy about 80 or 90 in the world and then i lost a very close match to david ferrer in the second round where if i would probably would have served a little bit better I, you know there's a good chance i would have won that match so i lost i believe it was six four seven five in two hours and at that time he was around top 10 in the world mm-hmm. so um so i was playing great tennis um and, uh, so I played the rest of the season and I was playing okay. And I, I didn't, I didn't have any really great results after that for the rest of the season. And then, uh, I trained, um, uh, for the 2010 season to then go play the Australian open, uh, qualifying. And, and after I played the Australian open qualifying, I went to, uh, I went to Hawaii to play the next challenger. And as I was training, I felt my hip go again. And I knew right away that, uh, you know, and I had torn it once before and, uh, I kind of felt, I felt it again. And I knew right then and there in, in my heart, I, I knew right then that it was, it was time to stop because, uh, you know, when, when, when you're fighting a lot of those injuries and, uh, and you're not able to, to play a full season and you're in the doctor's office or you're trying to rehab and you should be training or traveling and competing then you know it's just, it's just not it's it's not a good thing it's not that much fun uh you're always trying to play catch up and uh and like i said my legs i felt like they were slowing down already at 25 26 years old and so if i needed a hip surgery to clean up some stuff in in the hip you know you're, you're not going to move faster i mean you, you see andy murray now and he's not moving any faster and i watched gustavo Querton and he couldn't move to his forehand side anymore so you know th- those are those are really tough injuries and, uh, and so in my heart, I, I knew that, that it was time. And, and I was also getting tired of the travel and, and I had a great fiance that, uh, that was super supportive. And in fact, my family, whether it was my, my, at that time, my future in-laws or even my mother, you know, they, they, they said, okay, you go back and you'll keep going. And, and in my heart, I didn't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's when I, I pulled the plug and I think my family and maybe, you know, I'm not sure about Pierre, but my family, they thought I was going to have a surgery and go back and try to do it and, and, and keep working at it. But um, in my heart, I just didn't, you know, I, I didn't want to do it anymore. You know, it was difficult. And uh, but, you know, the times that I had were, were phenomenal on the tour. Uh, I beat some great players that that uh, that 
I wasn't even sure I could ever compete with or beat. And I was able to beat some at different times. And so that was super exciting in during those moments. But it, it was just hard to keep the consistency going. Sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you knew when it was time in, inside and, and you, you made the best decision. And uh, fortunately, you're, you're healthy today. And I'm, I'm, I'm watching you, you know, play some, uh, you know, against some really good players. Actually, I, I remember there was one day where I think, was it maybe Ronnie's flight didn't come in or something? And you, you ended up playing <laughs> with somebody. Who was that again? Yeah, that, that's funny. So, you know, like I said, Ronnie lives with me and, and uh, he's originally from New York. Um, and, uh, and so he was flying back from New York, but, uh, but his flight got canceled. And so I felt really bad. And I was like, man, I haven't hit balls at this level in a, in a, <laughs> in, in a long time. But I felt bad for Riley Opelka and Jay Berger. Sure. So I said, I told my students, Pierre, you got the students today and I'm driving out there and I'm going to hit with Riley myself. <laughs> and I was actually, I was a little concerned. I was like, man, I haven't. And like I said, when you're out of shape, you're, you're a lot more vulnerable to getting injured. And I was right. like, oh man, I'm, I'm going to go do this, but let, let's hope I get out of this hole. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, so, uh, but yeah, it was great. I had a great workout. Hopefully I was a great hitting partner for Riley. I've known Riley since he was about 13 or 14 years old. And wow. I know his father, they're amazing family class act. I know Riley and Ronnie are, are communicating, uh, you know, all the time. And, and so it's, it's great. It's a great relationship. And so, yeah, I went out there and hit with Riley and I, and, uh, yeah, it was great. It was fun. Uh, I wouldn't want to do it every single day <laughs> anymore, <laughs> you know, cause that would require me to get in try to get in great shape and everything and but sure. uh but it was good it was fun oh that's that's yeah. awesome that's awesome yeah I, I met riley really briefly at a, a itpa international tennis performance association uh conference at dr mark kovacs uh hosted uh-huh. and, uh, definitely very a very nice. cool guy and i felt like i was three foot seven you know standing next to him so <laughs> uh, right yeah yeah exactly yeah heck yeah. of a guy but um so so todd obviously you've you transitioned successfully very successfully from a pro career to being a fantastic coach i was wondering uh you know what inspired you to 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 start coaching and like how did you come up with the the business and you know the whole story behind that sure so when when i got off the tour um I wanted to finish my college degree. Um, I wanted to, to get a bodywork degree as well. Um, and so when I got off the tour after that Australian Open in 2010, I started working at an academy here locally. Um, got a great offer to to work there and 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 train the best players at the academy. And um, and so I, I did it for six months, but I, I didn't really enjoy it, and it wasn't for me. And and um, and so. I stopped and, and I, and I, and I had the backing to, 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 you know, really do what I wanted to do. And so I started with one boy privately, um, training him and, and it, and it was a big risk because I, I could stay at the Academy and, and continue, you know, just working with the juniors and, and, uh, and, and, and making good money and I was getting paid well. And, and, uh, but in my heart, I, I just, it, it, it wasn't for me and I, I, I didn't, think it was what I should be doing. And so, um, so I actually took a big pay cut and I started with one student and, and, that, and, that, and that's a risk. That's a risk that I took. Um, I was just getting started, uh, with, uh, I had just gotten married in, 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 uh, in July of 2010, I got married. And, uh, so it was right before I, you know, we, we, we got married. And, uh, and so, 
you know, I, I wanted to try to do something different in South Florida. I didn't want to do the cookie cutter mold and, and I didn't want to have an academy with masses of kids. And, and, and not only that, I had tremendous mentors um, that, that were mentoring me on, on what I should be doing. And I had tremendous mentors my whole life. And I was around, I was blessed to be around very successful people my, my whole life. And so I always looked at them and I saw what they did really well. And, and I always thought that, uh, you know, if I could do things that, that these successful people are doing on a daily basis, whether they were doctors or attorneys or professional players or those types of things, then, then I could have a chance to, to, to be successful. And so, um, so I started with one boy who was a senior senior in high school. I mean, who, who does that? You know, that that's super risky and, and making a lot less money than what I was making at the academy. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so I wanted to take that chance and, uh, and try to do something different. And at that time I was still, I was finishing my college degree and I was also getting a bodywork degree as well. Um, and so, so basically, you know, at, at that time you're hoping that people are going to call you and, uh, you got to have results. I mean, the kids have to do well. And, uh, and so I placed that one boy in college and then I, I then actually during when I was, when I was training that boy, um, a girl that, uh, that had previously trained at the Academy, she calls me and I had lost track of her and I trained her and she became a phenomenal player. I trained her for one year. She was top 10 player in the country and she played number two at Princeton. Wow. So that was that was a great success. She had the best results of her of her junior career. She went on to one of the best colleges. Then I then I had a group of four boys, and and one went on to play number one at University of Miami. Another one went on to play uh, number one at uh, Florida Atlantic here, and now he's becoming a doctor. Uh, very very bright kid and, and uh, great family, and and uh, and those four boys did fantastic. Um, and then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm getting some more phone calls, and and. And, um, you know, I had a boy living with my family for two years and he went on to university of Pennsylvania to the Wharton business school. He played number one, all four years. I trained this kid five, six days a week for two straight years. And he was the only kid in, in university of Pennsylvania, um, in, in the tennis program, in the history of the tennis program to be all Ivy league four years in a row. So these kids were, they, they were not only going to phenomenal schools, but they're also playing one or two on their college tennis teams. So that opens tremendous doors, but I, that's why I think the training, the training has to be really catered to that individual. And you have to spend a lot of time with these kids to, to be able to get the most out of them. And, and, and then they can, they can go on to, to play, you know, some, some great college tennis. So I've, I've had, I've had, you know, multiple kids in, in the Ivy league. I've, I've had number one players in the ACC, Ronnie is going to LSU. He's been living with me for, like I said, for over four years, but he had been, he was my first youngster at 12 years old, um, that I was training that, you know, that, that I thought was going to become a great player. And, uh, and he won the Eddie Hurst 16 and under tournament coming from out of nowhere this past April, he went to the Easter bowl and he's the first kid in 52 Mm -hmm. years to win, to win the Easter bowl 18s beating, a couple of top 20 players in the world. Um, so that was, that was super exciting. And then just recently about a week or two ago, and, and keep in mind, he hasn't even gone to college yet. He just beat Stanford's number one player, um, <laughs> you know, about two Crazy. weeks ago, which was, yeah, incredibly exciting. I was watching it, uh, on my computer and 
and Pierre was out there on the road with him. So he beat, he already beat Stanford's number one player. And, um, and he hasn't even gone to college yet. So, you know, it, the, the results have been great. I mean, I've, I've had kids go to Tennessee to wake Forest, number one at university of Miami, number one, Wisconsin, number one, university of Pennsylvania, another boy at university of Pennsylvania. And then you got the, you know, the girl that went to, uh, to Princeton that played number two. So, you know, in, in only nine years, I feel like the results have been, have been great. You know I mean? I, you know, but we've, 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 to me, we've done it the right way. We've spent a lot of time with the kids. It's not, it's not a cookie cutter mold. Um, and we've taken care of these kids. And so that, that gives me the most joy to get on the court every single day. I, I believe that if I had masses of kids and, and I, and I couldn't really put my life into them and there were too many kids and, and, and I couldn't do it the right way, I wouldn't have as much joy doing it. So that's why, that's why I've kept it very small and I've kept it, kept it a lead. And, and, and like I said, I've, I've had great players and I've had players that, that are good players. Um, but they've had a great mentality and a great work ethic and they've been respectful. And so these are the kids that I love to, to be with every single day. And it's not, it's not that I love to be with Ronnie more than the others. Obviously Ronnie has been, has been the best player that, that I've trained. Um, he's been in my system the longest. Um, but, um, any kid that brings that mentality, I love, I love to spend my hours with them every day. For sure. For sure. I mean, there's a lot of great lessons here. I mean, first off, I think, you know, you were brave enough to follow like what was in your heart, whether it was, you know, first deciding that you needed to, to retire and then also deciding that, you know, the academy type of living or teaching wasn't for you. I mean, there's a lot of people I'm sure that they, you know, they might think that, but then, you know, just follow like the easier route, which is like staying where they are instead of potentially um, going with what really would make them happy in the long run. Uh, and then also just, uh, you know, the quality of your work really speaks volumes where, um, you know, you, you produce some fantastic students, you know, and it's starting from the beginning and then, you know, word just spread from there. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, uh, also I was curious, just a, a side note was, wasn't it, uh, didn't Ronnie have to like win or go through qualifying for one of those tournaments to, to win? Sure. So, yeah. yes. So, so at the Easter Bowl, he had to go through, he had to go through qualifying um, in the eighteen and unders because the path that I have my students take is 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 probably a little bit different than than what a lot of the kids are doing. But I think it's the best way to develop players. And so I never had Ronnie chasing international tennis points all around the globe, twenty or thirty weeks a year. I, I didn't think. And, and I still think that is not a great way to develop a player. Um, so you can develop a player if you have the right team, but I don't think a lot of players do that, you know, or, or academies do that. So you need to be, if you're going to go out and you're going to be a youngster, say 15, 16, 17 years old per se, you need to be training on the road and doing your physical fitness and, you may only be playing one match a day or maybe you lose and you have five days before your next event. You need to really be working on your game really hard so that you can continue your development even though you're on the road. And that's very difficult to do. So I, I see a lot of kids that are traveling worldwide and, and doing those things. But to me, it's about development. So if you're missing that training time and the fitness and all those things – you're not becoming a better tennis player. So people were 
surprised that Ronnie could go out and win a tennis tournament like the Easter Bowl because he didn't have a very high ITF ranking. In fact, I believe he had only played maybe one or two ITF tournaments before that. And so he, he went for qualifying and he qualified. And he starts going through the draw and beating guys he had never beaten before. Then he's beating guys top 20 in the world. And then, boom, he wins a tournament. So I, I believe he went through three rounds of qualifying and then another five or six rounds in the main draw to be the only kid in 52 years to win the Easter Bowl um, coming through qualifying. And so that was that was really exciting. But it also showed that he had trained really hard and really well for for years to be able to do that and 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 what people don't realize is that he was 17 years old but he had already played a year and a half or two years of professional tennis so was it really a big surprise that he won that tennis tournament i don't know not not to pierre and i i thought it, we thought it was a great result that he could physically and mentally sustain a certain level and standard throughout that whole tournament going through qualifying and going through the main draw so that was really the test was that could he sustain physically and mentally each and every day to be able to come through and and, and, and take a title like that and obviously he passed our test <laughs> yeah it's a tough test there winning so, what like eight nine matches it's just insane but yeah not, yeah, yeah right. it's 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 exciting you yeah know, no yeah. doubt about it very exciting yeah, super impressive for sure. And and so in reading yeah, the description of uh of Todd Whittem tennis, I I noticed that it uh and as you said what what you studied, you know, it concentrates in tennis coaching of course and then also massage and body work. And you know, you don't see that too often as being uh, concentrations in uh for for uh you know, tennis uh training and whatnot. So, what uh what is it that's specifically important about massage and body work that contributes to a winning tennis player? So, well, to, to make a long story short, when I got off the tour, I thought I was the, the guy that I send my players to. He's a very well-respected bodywork guy in, in the area. Uh, this guy, this man, Keith Parmenter, he's, he's one of my really good friends, and he worked on me my last couple of years of competing on the ATP tour. I thought I was going to join him in his, in his business. And so that's, why, that's one of the reasons why I went and got a bodywork degree was to join him in his business. I didn't know that I was going to be coaching tennis as, as, as my career. I thought it may have only been a short-term thing. Mm. It ended up not so uh, being that way, um, you know, for, for, for different reasons. He's one of, my, one of my great friends and just, you know, different, you know, different things that, help in, that happened in, in health care and, and those types of things over the years that, uh, that he told me it's, 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 not, it's not a good thing. So I said, okay, no problem. So, but anyway, so, so I still have my body work degree. And uh, I could, I'm licensed and I'm uh, and insured nationally to, I could work on the athletes, but I actually don't. I'd rather send them to Keith and obviously I'm on the court a lot and, and working with the players. But, um, but I think it's something really important that, that tennis coaches should have. There's probably very few, if not, if not none, maybe worldwide that, that, that really have a degree in body work. I, I don't really know any. Um, but uh, I think it's a great thing to, to have so that you understand not only the biomechanics, but understand injury prevention and, and maybe kids may be sore or hurting in, in a specific area. And you may know whether that's maybe something serious where, they need, where I need to send them to Keith right away 
or or it's something that they could play through. So I, I have a little bit of that background, and so I can you know many times uh, you know determine uh, you know whether it may be serious or maybe not. Awesome. And are there any any signs that like amateur players may be able to look at and like figure out whether it's like something they could play through versus versus something they, sh- they should stop immediately? Well, you know, a lot a lot of kids. They, they may not know know the difference between soreness and pain mm-hmm. and how to take care of their bodies and how to recover. These are all things like, like we like we discussed previously that 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 I have to teach them. Um, maybe kids come to me with cramping problems, so I have to teach them proper hydration and salt intake and 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 minerals and, and those types of things. So each and every kid is different. Um, but many times kids don't know whether it's something that they should play through or not. So um, it could be a little tweak and it could be, you know, hopefully nothing major. Like I said, I've, I've never had kids with, with any major injuries. Thank, thank goodness, knock on wood. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they've been very healthy. And obviously I have Keith that, that sees them uh, immediately if, if there's anything that we think is maybe potentially serious. Um, but uh you know, I think a lot of it is education. And a lot of it is mechanics and techniques, and 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 being you know, physically fit and putting in the work every single day. And I think a lot of people also, what 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 I read and I see on the on the internet is that you know, people are very worried that oh my goodness they're training too hard and this and that. And 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 what I can tell you is that is that I think many kids are undertrained and not trained the right way, which then gives them more potential to be, to, to be becoming injured. And, 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 you know, I, I train the kids and we, and, and, and Pierre and I demand a lot out of them and they're working incredibly hard. Most kids have trouble getting through the workouts when, when they first start coming or even they have trouble even getting through the assessment. And, um, and so, you know, there, you got you got to work hard on the body and, and make sure that it's strong and fit and agile. And then your chances of, of having issues are, are much less. There you go. I appreciate that, Todd. And, uh, as far as, you know, of course you've been coaching quite a while for, for several years now, are there any, you know, either philosophies or, or, you know, ways that you taught, you know, in your early part of your coaching career that maybe you, you changed, uh, after, you know, realizing that maybe something like there was a better way of doing something. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I would, I would say that, I mean, I haven't changed. I mean, I kind of, you know, I'm a disciplinarian, disciplined guy. Um, you know, I, I expect a, a certain standard every day, Getting kids to be engaged and focused um, for for longer periods of time than what they're accustomed to is a big part of the job. Mm-hmm. But you know you got to be on them, and and so and and so that comes from the discipline. But if a coach is in discipline, that he can't then he can then he can't really instill that type of discipline in the players. So I feel like I'm very I'm very fair, and I think the kids realize that they have it really good. I mean they basically have two private tutors and a private hitting partner every single day for them. Mm-hmm. And so I, f- I feel like they're in such a great scenario to, to become not only a great human being, but also a great tennis player that I don't want them to, to wait, to really waste it away. 
And, um, and so, you know, have, have I, have I learned things over these nine years? Absolutely. Um, I can tell you that each and every child needs to be trained differently based on their body type, based on their previous coaching, based on their techniques, um, maybe their grips, um, their movements, their parenting at home. There's, there's a lot of things to, to look at. And then you can, once you understand the, really the, the scenario, then, uh, then you can go about uh, really helping that child. But to me, the only way to really get the most out of each and every child is to really understand those things and then build a game each and every day so that they're peaking when they're 16 to 18 years old. And uh, the only way to do that, in my opinion, is you got to be with that child every day and spend hours with them every single day and, and be very consistent in what you're doing and what you're working towards. And then you can see some great things. Love it. Love it. And uh, Todd, I mean, there's obviously several different dimensions to being a successful tennis player, you know, technique, strategy, fitness, the mental game, for example. I mean, do you, what would you say that you generally spend the most time, uh, in, in, you know, between those different areas? Sure. Well, Pierre and I probably spend our most amount of time on fixing a rocky foundation Mm -hmm. of technique, Mm -hmm. movement, and mentality. Mm-hmm. concentration, discipline. That's mm-hmm. what, that's what we're spending our time on. Mm-hmm. And so the only way, and I, and I can tell you this from many examples is that, you know, whether the child is 13, 15, 16 years old, whatever the case shall be, if you want to fix a foundation that may not be the most solid foundation for a child, you need to spend a lot of time with them. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then when you can have a good foundation, then you can start talking about the strategies and the technique, you know, and, and the tactics, not the mm-hmm. technique, sorry, that's part right. of the foundation, right. you know, the strategies and, and, and the tactics, then you can start talking about that and, and, and teaching. But a lot of the parents say, my, my child doesn't know how to play tennis. They don't know how to construct a point. I say, I agree. But do they understand how to hit specific spots? Can they move? Do they have the discipline of being able to hit the ball the same way on the same spot, uh, the same type of way? You know, do they have variety? You know, so many different things. And then you put them through drills and they can't do it. So the foundation is rocky technically and, 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 and movement wise and, and maybe grips and, and swings and preparation of racket and, 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 you know, all, all these different things. So then you have to go back and fix that before you can move on to other things. And so that's what we're, that's what we're really doing. But if you want to fix that and do it in a, in a very timely fashion, you have to be with those kids every single day working on those things. If not, it's, it's, it's not going to happen. No chance. Gotcha, Todd. And, uh, where do you think bad technique comes from? Uh, you know, I mean, it's I, it, it's tough to say. Um, from you know, from 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 the early times of the kids, you know, may, maybe training. It depend. It really depends on how serious the kids and the parents want to be. Um, just like myself, when I was six years old, I was coming from I don't know ten or twenty kids on a court. You know, just beginner stuff. Um, but then. I got serious when I was seven years old. And so, you know, George and Pierre started fixing my swings, my, my grips, 
my movement, my discipline of my repetition of shot every single day, all, all these things that, uh, you know, you, you'd hope would be solid maybe by the time, uh, you know, a young boy or, or girl is about maybe 12 years old, but that, that's, that's not always the case. So, you know, we're, we're, we're fixing the, the foundations, you know, unfortunately, you know, past that age. And so parents want many times they want results, but you have to fix that foundation before you can get results. And so, you know, that's, uh, you know, that, that could be a little, you know, it could be tedious work every single day, but Hey, how, how good do you want to be? Yeah, exactly. Very wise words there. Um, Todd, if you, you know, a couple more questions for you. I know we've been talking for a while, but, uh, it's really been loving it. Uh, it's tons of value. I appreciate it. Um, sure. What are three, you know, I don't know how, how much of a reader you are. You mentioned, you know, you're all about tennis, but what are the three books that you might gift to a friend to help them play better tennis? Sure. Um, you know, when I was on tour, I, I did, I did read, I, re- I read some books. When, when times were tough, I read a, a sports psychology book called Mind Gym hmm. that I thought, that I thought was excellent. Um, I read, um, both Lance Armstrong books that were very fascinating. I, I loved to read about athletes when, when I was on tour and how they maybe dealt with different, you know, maybe stresses or pressures or their upbringing. Uh, I read, I read a book on Derek Jeter, I remember, um, because my family was from New York. So I grew up a New York Yankee fan. Um, I read a book on Marion Jones. I remember, um, trying to think, uh, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think what other books. Um, I mean, you did a I read, good job. I oh. read, I read Andre Agassi's book on the way to Australia. I remember that. There you go. Um, I read Brad Gilbert's book. I did spend, uh, some hours with Brad Gilbert cause I did a lot of training with Andy Roddick when, uh, in South Florida. So I spent time with, with Brad Gilbert when he was training Andy Roddick. And so, uh, so I read uh, I read Brad Gilbert's book. So yeah, there, there were some books yeah that I read. Wow, Todd, you know, for being a guy who uh, didn't like school too much, you're a bit of a <laughs> a book monster here, and I appreciate it. It's good, six or at least six good books there. Cool, Todd. And uh, this is an interesting one, but if you could put a huge banner up at the U.S. Open with a quote or a slogan of your choice, what would it say? Hmm, that's a good question. Let me see here. Well, maybe like I've been saying the whole show, do it right or don't do it at all. There you go. Love that. Todd, um, wh- well, actually, let me ask you this first. Where uh, I-, I know that you uh, clearly have like a, a limited core group of-, of players, but I guess if somebody wanted to work with you, I mean, what would be the best way to get in touch? Sure. Um well, the, the the two best ways. Well, there's a you know, even more than than two. I mean, like how you got in touch with me on on Facebook on Messenger. Mm-hmm. Um, people follow me and they look at my workouts and they get a good idea of kind of what Pierre and I are doing. Um, mm-hmm. So I post. I try to post almost every single day, or at least Monday through Friday, on either Facebook and and also Instagram. I do both of them. Um, then uh, they can contact me at Todd T O D D at twtennis.com mm-hmm. or they uh, they can reach me on my cell phone it's on my website as well at 954 296 5610 
Awesome. Sweet. Thanks. Everybody listening, do not <laughs> prank text him. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> and, and what's your, uh, like, what are your social media handles like for Instagram and so forth? What do you, what do you mean by that? Oh, just your, uh, like, if they wanted to search you and find your profile, like on Instagram, at, at least. Uh, I don't oh, know if sure, you're on Twitter sure. too, but, but if you can. Yeah, I don't, I don't use my Twitter that much. Um, on, well, on Facebook, my, my personal account, which is really mostly my tennis, uh, maybe there's a little family stuff on there, but really it's my tennis. It's just Todd Whittem. And then uh, my business account is uh, is Todd Whittem Tennis, so pretty easy. And then on Instagram, I strictly only do that for my um, for my tennis business, and it's mm-hmm. Todd Whittem and then underscore tennis. And, uh, yeah, and that, that's really how you find me on, on the social media. Sweet. Awesome. Appreciate that, Todd. And uh, to, you know, to close the show, I always ask this, uh, this question here. Uh, what is one key tip that you can give us to help us improve our tennis games? Uh, good question, Mirban. I'm impressed. <laughs> Thanks. Um, one key thing to improve upon. Okay, I could give you a good tip here. So, the way Pierre and I train our students is that we always have targets and obviously you're trying to hit those targets. It could be in just a simple cross court drill. Um, and so you can gauge progress pretty easily mm-hmm. is that for example, if you could hit say three balls in a row on a target one day, maybe the following week, you can maybe do five. And then hopefully maybe another week or two later, you can do seven. And so that's how you build. You can build confidence, more repetitions. Um, you can gauge improvement. For, for example, I can tell you that when I was very young, seven, eight years old, if you could not hit 20 balls and ripping it you know, big and heavy, 20 balls in a row with George – the drill never stopped. Mm. <laughs> so that's a, that's yeah. My, my students look at me like I'm crazy, but that's, that's, that's how we were brought up. And so when I talk about having very solid foundations mentally and, um, and, and technically and, and physically, that's how we were brought up. But also keep in mind that George and Pierre we're producing champions. I mean, so, you know, in, in any sport that that's the type of coach that, that you're going to need or, or hopefully have, if, if you want your child to, to have a chance to become a champion, you're going to be trained under, you know, much different circumstances than, than maybe many other kids. That's just the reality. Todd, well, I have to say, I mean, I've done, this is going to be the hundredth, 15th episode now, and I have not actually had this piece of advice given uh, about using targets. So I, I like it a lot. Um, and I do appreciate it. It's a, a, it's kind of maybe a crazy side question, like two in the weeds, but like for targets, what are you using? I'm just using a, a normal cone, um, you know, for soccer, that type of thing. You can cool. pick it up, cool. you know, Walmart or any of those types of, of places. But you know, that that's, it, we're, we're constantly doing that and it gives you feedback and then you can really see, whether that 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 particular player has maybe issues with with technique, movement, preparation of racket, even even mentally, how long they can stay in that drill and 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 have stroke production and produce 
the same type of ball each time. So this is really, like I said, the foundation. These are things that we're working on every single day with, with the students in my program. Love that. I mean, it's a metaphor for life, too. You know, the more targets you can set and hit more consistently, the the better you'll be doing. So, um, Todd, uh, I definitely can't thank you enough. I mean, we've been chatting for a while, and, you know, uh, time is very valuable, the most valuable thing that we have. So I really do appreciate uh, you spending all this time with me and uh, with us, and I uh, really appreciate it. And I have to really uh, recognize and commend you for the fantastic job and impact that you're having on uh, on these uh, great group of uh, young men and women. Uh, and just uh, keep up the great work, and thanks a lot for coming on to the podcast and hope to meet you in person soon sometime. Absolutely. Thanks, Mirban. I really appreciate you inviting me on. It was, it was a great time. Hey, anytime, Todd. Thanks so much. All right. I really hope you enjoyed my interview with Todd Widom. Uh, Todd, really appreciate it once again for, uh, to you uh, for coming on to the Tennis Files podcast and spending a lot of time with me. Uh, just talking shop, talking what it takes to become and develop great tennis players and great people. Really, really fantastic uh, chat with you there. And uh, if you like this episode and if you appreciate, you know, what uh, the the effort that uh, my guests and I are putting into the show, then I really would appreciate it if you would subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast. And you can simply do that by going to Apple Podcasts or the favorite podcast app of your choice and just hitting that big juicy subscribe button. Really would appreciate that, and it would help uh, elevate the visibility of the show. And also, it would send every single episode straight to your podcast app immediately as soon as I hit publish. Uh, probably takes like a minute or two, but <laughs> once I hit publish. But anyways, you get the idea, right? So I uh, definitely would be great and much appreciated if you could subscribe to the show. And uh, I also, um, of course, want to just let you know that any links that we mentioned today on the show will be on the show notes page. I, I just I really tried to alliterate that properly because I often mess it up by saying like show notes or something weird. But anyway, uh, show notes page, which will be at tennisfiles.com slash 115 for this one. So tennisfiles.com slash 115. And I'd like to leave you with a quote, as I often like to do at the end of the show. And this one is a very wise one by uh, by my homie Socrates. Just kidding. We don't really know each other, but <laughs> I know his teachings. And uh, the great Socrates said, Beware the barrenness of a busy... Oh, gosh. Let me say that again. Beware the barrenness of a busy life. Uh, very powerful quote there, really, because a lot of times... We're busy doing things, but we're not really doing what we want to do or we're not really doing things that make a big impact. You know, maybe we're practicing every single day and, oh, you know, nothing's improving. Um, We're keeping busy, but maybe we're not uh, really setting the intentions that we need to push ourselves forward in the areas that we need improvement. So beware the barrenness of a busy life. Thank you, Socrates. All right. Well, with that, uh, I really do hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Tennis Files podcast. I don't know if this is the longest episode I've done. Uh, If not, it's probably pretty close. I might have broken two hours once or twice, but uh, I encourage you to go through every episode and listen and find out. But uh, no, I I do. Uh, But, you know, gradually, because I think you probably have other things to do. But I really do appreciate 
your support and and your messages. I mean, sometimes I I receive you know DMs like the day after or the day of me publishing a podcast episode. Uh, like Aaron Patterson, who's actually been a guest too, he DM me and and said that he really enjoyed my my latest episode with Nina. And uh, yeah, you know, it's things like that that really uh, really keep me going and. Uh, really helps me appreciate, you know, how great you all are. And, uh, and, you know, I just do this for you. Uh, of course it's fun for me too, but a lot of work, but I love it. You know, it's tennis. What can I say? So anyways, thanks so much for, uh, listening to this episode and I will see you on the next episode of the tennis files podcast. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit tennisfiles.com.